Welcome to Alphabet Scoop, episode 121. As always, I'm joined by Ben Schoen and Kyle Bradshaw. This week, we have a a lot to talk about, actually. A lot of topics to talk about, so let's just jump right in with a, a drama, a negotiation drama, with Roku and YouTube TV and Google that started last Monday um, when it when Roku told uh, own device owners that are subscribed to YouTube TV that they may lose YouTube TV uh, as negotiations break down. Um, that this that kicked off a whole cycle of telegraphing who was at fault and what they want. But in, since then, we've learned what is at stake, Ben. Yeah, so, yeah, it all, like you said, it all started out when they uh, just emailed customers and said, you know, you might lose YouTube TV. And then uh, a few days later, they went through and they pulled it out. Google came out and said Roku was the one who started the renegotiations of the contract, Called the, said they were lying, basically. Um Roku said a bunch of other stuff. Did, claim, they, it was did Google's Roku fault. ever deny uh, Google's initial claim? Roku never denied that Google said that they're lying. So basically, they never said, no, we're not lying, hmm. which is kind of hilarious. Yeah. Um, but basically, what this all comes down to is either greed or AV1. AV1 is a video codec that Google has been pushing a lot. Uh, it's capable of 8K. It's way uh, better on bandwidth and compression. It is a yeah. It is a genuine upgrade for video streaming apps, and it has you know potential for cloud gaming like Stadia. Um, but the thing is, right now it is very rarely used, and it relies on hardware decoding. Yes, and Each the hardware of these codecs to become more efficient and to use less data are uh, uh, increasingly, they require more processing power. So the chips need to get better with every generation for every single codec advancement. Yes, exactly. And because we're still in very, very early days of AV1, that hardware is a little bit more expensive. So Google has already required that any Android TV device released in 2021 and beyond support AV1 which is what the Chromecast just fell short of. It does not support AV1, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, is kind of hilarious. Um, but Roku only supports this on one device, and they don't really push it. They haven't really made a stance on AV1, but their whole thing is we have the cheapest good streamers out there, which they do. You can get a Roku in the U.S. for, like, what, $25, and it's not bad. Um but if Google were to require AV1 support from Roku, then it would have an impact on their pricing. Um, and that was one of Roku's points is they don't want to adopt this. Um, I can, it's, I can, it's a lot of back and forth here. I can see it from Roku's side of things. Now that it's, then it's all kind of laid out. Like They've probably had their hardware their next hardware generations planned for quite some time now. And Google's just coming mm-hmm. in saying, Hey, you need to support our codec. 
Absolutely. And if that was the end of the story, I would agree. And yes, Google would be at fault. But Google's response on Friday kind of adds more context to the picture. On Friday, they came out and just said, hey, at the beginning when the YouTube TV deal was about to run out, they said, hey, we just want to renew on the current terms. Don't want to change anything. But Google said that Roku chose to renegotiate the deal, something about combining it with the deal for normal YouTube. And that's kind of what's snowballed into where we are now. Um, Roku, yeah. you know, they're claiming more than Google says is happening. Uh, Google did imply things like the AV1 support being part of this deal. Uh, but Roku saying that Google wants to, you know, interfere with the software and change search results and access data that other providers don't have. And Google's just saying that is blatantly false. Yeah. When date inserting Google as trying to grab more data is, uh, it's, it's rudimentary. It's everybody's saying that right now in this current antitrust environment. So yeah, it's hard to tell who's like definitely at fault here. And it's also hard not to pick sides once you start reading into it. And the important um, context about Roku is that they yeah. play hardball on negotiations really do. a lot. Um, yeah. And here, if you want me to go, I'll go over three examples, if you'd like. Absolutely. Please. So in just last year alone, there were three big examples of Roku playing hardball and just kind of being a little scummy on its negotiations. Uh, the first one was in February when, uh, with the Super Bowl. Um, everyone wanted to stream it at home, especially because COVID was starting to be a worry. So February of last year, uh, 2020? February of last year, so like just before lockdown stuff. Uh, and Roku, had, their deal with Fox ran out like two days before the Super Bowl. And they were delaying, renewing it. it I think it was less than 24 hours before the Super Bowl. They finally gave in and got everything set up again. But like Fox apps that were the only way to stream the Super Bowl just disappeared from Roku less than a day before the game. Um, And that one was, I think the general consensus was that one was Roku's fault. Um, But then later in the year, you had the launches of HBO Max and uh, NBC Peacock. Um, HBO Max obviously being the bigger player there. Um, And they launched without Roku support. They also launched without Fire TV support for similar reasons. Um, And it basically came down to uh, negotiations for how they would integrate with the platform, how money would be exchanged. And yeah, it just ended up with them being delayed. You can't really say 100% whose side it was on, but at the same time, both services launched on Google, uh, Android TV and Apple TV just fine. So assume what you will. So there is a history of Roku playing dirty with its partners. One reason for this is, as, as you were saying, Ben, they, they sell $25 streamers. They're integrated into the cheapest smart TVs out there. They have, a, as a platform, they have immense power to gatekeep what people watch on it. And being on Roku is, given how many people have it, is it's an important requirement for the past few years. And mm-hmm. it's just, they, they have this power and they've increasingly been wanting to throw it around as evidenced by those examples. And they, 
go, uh, going after Google, after YouTube, at which is at the heart of it now. Yeah, and it's the biggest thing, honestly, is that, yeah, Roku has, is commanding in the United States market. Uh, there was a report earlier this week as well um, where Roku's share of the U.S. market was clocked in at about 37%, I think, um, which is dominant mm-hmm. compared to you know smart TV manufacturer platforms like Samsung and LG. And then uh, it beat out Fire TV. It beat out Apple TV. Um, it even built out beat out combined Chromecast and Android TV, which honestly are surprisingly small sectors of the market uh, in the U.S., But another thing that kind of adds context to Roku's side of it and why they might be defensive with negotiations is how they stand globally. Um, That report from this week also came out to say that um, globally streaming time went up something like 30 something, like 30 something percent, 20 to 2020 to 2021, um, which was obviously because of the pandemic. But most of that growth was internationally where Roku has hardly any stake at all. Surprising. Um, Who is leading internationally? So it depends on the market. If you're in Asia, Google is actually really, really strong there. They own 49% of the streaming time in Asia uh, with Android TV, which isn't super surprising just because there are so many Chinese brands that produce Android TV boxes. uh, And then also brands like Xiaomi use Android TV. Um, in South America, South America was actually the biggest grow growth for growing viewing time in 2020. Um, and Roku only holds 4% of that market in Europe, which was another big area of growth. They hold 8%. And in Africa, which was the other big one for last year, they only hold 2%. Wow. So, and all of these shares dropped last year. So Roku's overall global viewing time share dropped from 33% to 30% over the course of the pandemic, which is a really bad sign when overall the market grew by 36%. It seems strange to to hear that uh, the, the affordable box is performing worse in, in some of these other markets like South America and Africa. It's really interesting to hear the, like you're saying like a $25 stream stick, like that, that should be dominating. You would think. Well, part of it is Roku took a while to get into these markets. Mm -hmm. I think if I remember right, uh, they did not get into South America until 2019. So they didn't really have a presence for people to know of, but also internationally, if I recall, their prices are just a little higher than they are in the U S which puts them in line with a lot of Android TV devices. Uh, I think if I remember that the Xiaomi Mi TV stick costs the same as a base level Roku, but the base level Roku is like IR controlled and uh, limited to like maybe even 720p. I can't remember off the top of my head, but where the Android TV experience is generally speaking going to be the better option. But maybe yeah, and like the the Xiaomi is 1080p and Bluetooth, which is generally speaking a better experience. Mm-hmm. So to jump back into the stateside environment of this, so YouTube TV right now is not for new customers. It's not available on Roku. Uh, they uh, ex- existing ones who already have it 
installed and signed in, they still have it, correct? Or did they? Yeah. So they still if if you had the app installed on your Roku, it did not go away. God damn. Um, and I think you also needed to be signed in. I, mm. I haven't tested that, but I think that was part of it as well. Um, but basically, if you had it installed, you're good to go. It's not going to go anywhere unless you remove it or unless these two companies butt heads further and end up removing it themselves. Yeah. So, so YouTube TV has 3 million subscribers. What's going to happen to the main YouTube app in terms of who had, okay, three, in having 3 million subscribe paying subscribers is a lot for Google as a services business, but it's only 3 million people in the context of the US. Who has, who has the upper hand here? Roku or Google? It's, it is super hard to know who has the upper hand. In the case of YouTube TV, I think it's Roku because. I yeah, I would agree with that. But YouTube, if anything were to happen to YouTube, which Roku <laughs> has buttons for, that's the real, that's the real flashpoint there. That's yeah. That's when people really start switching away from Roku if they can't get access to YouTube. Which YouTube this week had the brandcast upfront. Which is basically opportunity to advertisers what's next, and everybody's watching YouTube on the on big TVs now. And if if Roku loses that or anything surrounding that happens, I think the dynamics change immediately. Especially considering uh, Google Play movies and TV is essentially lumped in with YouTube now. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. That's the power. Yeah. And for the time being, they're safe. Um, Google did explicitly say their contract with Roku for the regular YouTube app does not run out until December of this year. Mm. <laughs> so, December. So we've got uh, we've got eight, no, seven, seven more months. Of now this. May. It is May. We have seven more months of this drama to watch unfold. Yeah. Yeah. Or I don't know. What's when's the next big sporting event that uh, people turn to YouTube TV for, I guess, the NBA finals. Who knows? They, they lost all of their, all their uh, stuff. So who knows? It's all about basketball, yeah. All about basketball. But anyways, yeah. I, and let's say you are a YouTube TV subscriber with a Roku box right now, or, or a new subscriber or whatever. I don't think the switching costs involved with getting a Chromecast a $50 Chromecast or NVIDIA's Shield Cube thingy. I don't think it's that high. I don't... Okay, again, Roku has a lot of boxes out there. But my question is how much power they really have in terms... The cost of switching to a new a box, it's 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 not that high. Or I don't think it's that high yeah. like $50. It depends because there, there are some apps that you pay for on Roku and you would have to presumably pay for them again on Android TV, but th- that's a pretty slim niche. niche. Yeah. The, the bigger thing here is going to be the people who have like kind of obscure apps that aren't on other platforms. The gap between Roku and 
Android TV, Fire TV, Apple TV is smaller than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. But there are still apps that are only available on Roku. Well, this same can be said for Google TV now with Apple TV support. Apple TV yeah. Plus, whatever. Yeah, the Apple TV app. It's great. It's on the... But yeah, this, like again, like the switching costs is... You know, I guess it is a hassle if you were to keep switching boxes depending on what you wanted to watch. HDMI <laughs> switching is HDMI switching. <laughs> yeah, can um, speak to that. But yeah, I... I, yeah, I'm just curious about Roku, what Roku's dominance, what their place in the market is looking forward. Because, again, I don't think that the cost of switching is something that should be too distracting. Honestly, I'm surprised that Google hasn't sh- shipped a free Chromecast with Google TV to those affected Roku subscribers, Roku YouTube TV subscribers. Hmm. They can certainly yeah. afford to do that with at least a Chromecast third gen. Oh yeah, yeah, I like it with Chromecast. So yeah, that uh, like Ben was saying, December is from the main YouTube app negotiations, and I think this 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 battle is in the lull right now. Um, and. When it changes, it changes. It was quite the... Uh, it was so interesting to see it in the headlines every day. Yeah. And that Monday to Friday timeline that Roku... That was manufactured by Roku. The perfect cycle. Mm-hmm. End-to-end cycle. Short enough to keep it in people's minds for that game, for that period. Yeah, it was impressive. Like... <sighs> That added another layer of context was just that it went from Monday, they might do this, to Friday, they did it. Yeah, and breaking and taking a negotiations public is bad form by anybody. It's considered bad form by everybody. You, big yeah. companies don't do this usually. I mean, because we got a precedent for it now with, with the Epic and Apple uh, lawsuit. Yeah. Uh, we'll touch on that a bit later, but <laughs> the, the dirty laundry that gets aired, the internal communications that happens in Discovery, I would not be surprised if Google, which has their own lawsuit with Epic, um, after seeing what came out, will move to settlement because a lot gets revealed and the, the negotiations like Roku and Google, they again, they really usually don't go public unless, and the times they do, we see extreme steps like trying to convince, like YouTube had, YouTube TV had that email to tweet at Roku. That is really, I thought that's like a big step to publicizing this. Like, it, it, you're, all you're doing is upsetting their social media manager. Yeah. I think that's enough about Roku for right now. Uh, before we jump into Pixel Buds and a few other quick subjects, let's uh, hear a word from our sponsor. This week's episode of Alphabet Scoop is brought to you by NVIDIA GeForce Now. With GeForce Now, you can transform nearly any laptop, desktop, Mac, Chromebook, NVIDIA Shield TV, 
Android device, iPhone, or iPad into an instant PC gaming rig when you feel that urge to play and immerse yourself in a new or familiar world. With instant installs and no driver downloads, you can start gaming faster. GeForce Now is powered by NVIDIA's best-in-class GPUs and next-gen technology, and you can access the most demanding PC titles and seamlessly play with whatever device is nearest you. Connect to your supported store of choice and stream your library. Since you're making purchases on your personal account, like Steam or the Epic Games Store, those titles will always stay with you. Join GeForce Now and start playing for free, or upgrade your membership for faster access to cloud gaming servers, extended gameplay sessions, and RTX graphics featuring ray tracing and DLSS tech. And just before the weekend, check back weekly for GFN Thursday, NVIDIA's celebration of the newest games and features streaming from the cloud to you. Head to geforcenow.com slash 9to5google or hit the link in the show notes to check out GeForce Now today. So, Pixel Buds capital A dash series, which is also capitalized. That is the name of Google's next headphones as leaked in an inadvertent tweet from the Android account, which usually uh, tweets stuff to support uh, the main made by Google account or other things done by partners. Uh, the tweet was solely about FastPair and that new experience. But we've seen them, an official picture. We've, we got the name confirmed. Um, yeah, it's, it's something. It's something. They're, if I if I had a, a pet of if I had a pair of the white ones, I would be accused of having Google Pods even more than I already do. Google Pods. They look yeah, exactly so like AirPods. They do. We got a a pretty good shot of it. Um, yeah, it could be sharper. But so yeah, it's the same white domes, but the the part facing your ear and the rubber stabilizer arc, and presumably the buds. They're all this light gray color that also extends to the inside of the case, which is charging case, which is currently black. So this a tiny two-tone thing going on, and it honestly looks nice. It's, it's better than the current two-tone uh, white and black one, if I say so. If I can say so. Yeah, I I really like the name, the the A hyphen series Pixel Buds A series. It's it's. Really? Punchy. It's punchy. And, Pun- and punchy. That's a good word. That's a good way to describe it. And I, the, the, the capitalization of the A is, I think was important because it needed to be separate from, there's like, there's no numeral to attach it to the way that there was for the phone. Yes, but it, it's such a, it's different. It yes. is, where's the uniformity with the, 3A, 4A, and 4A, 5G. It's a capital A. It's it. It just looks weird in the same way um, that a like capitalized 5A, uh, 4A, and 3A look weird. I don't know. It's eh, there's a capitalization of the A, which probably doesn't matter in the long run. We assume it means affordable, but maybe the capitalization changes that. Yeah, potentially. I'm surprised they didn't try to do like a 
stylization type thing, like do like a, a stylized lowercase alpha, you know, something like that. Mm. Mm. An alpha. I think it's better as is, as is. without yes. the alpha. That would be confusing. <laughs> then we have series. Doesn't a series require you have more than one product in it? It certainly implies that. It does. It does. I mean, I, I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, the the edition in in uh, Apple Watch Link. You're getting the such and such edition or Apple Watch Series Three, but that or Series Six, whatever it is. But it, then again, those actually do have more than one device in them because there's the larger and the smaller. So yeah, I see what you're saying. And from the tweet, I mean, we've only got one tweet, but I don't, I didn't see any implication that there was going to be more than one. It's a Quad Pixel Buds A series was the name that appeared on the Fastpair sheet, and it, and it makes no sense for them to further distinguish it. I don't think. And they rather they didn't distinguish it further in that screenshot, in that very consumer-facing, that's what regular buyers will see experience. So I guess there's just one Pixel Buds A in two colors. I'm excited to see that second color. Mm, yeah, the green one, which is the, yeah, the green, that forest green is really nice. To see if it matches up with the Pixel 5a and things like that. That might be nice. Indeed. Indeed. So yeah, that's an inadvertent review of the Pixel Buds A. A launch has to be imminent at this point. If, or what we learned yesterday was maybe it was scheduled for supposed to happen a long time ago on Tuesday, May 4th. Or they scheduled it two weeks too early. Who knows? Um but it is curious, and something has to happen this month at this point. Yeah, IO seems like a good fit. Mm-hmm. We, there's two hours of keynote. I'm sure they can squeeze five minutes for headphones. Absolutely. So other stuff that happened this week is Google announced entertainment space today. And it's basically Google TV on a tablet. <laughs> yes. What kind of tablet, Ben? Uh, well, it's starting to roll out uh, later this month on the really cheap Walmart on tablets, which are kind of not terrible. Yes. But at the same time, I mean, when okay, when you think of tablets in the Android modern context, you think Samsung, of course, but uh, we don't think it's coming to Samsung or Lenovo which Google has partnered on assistant ambient mode and other things like that. It's kind of odd it's not Lenovo first. I think that might just be a timing thing for Lenovo just not having anything in the in the works mm. right now. They, they just had their True. nicer tablet come out not too long ago. Yes, that tablet. Yeah, because they do typically launch these kinds of things. Uh, like, what did they do? They did a kid space with them. Yes, kid space, which is and assistant ambient space, mode. Space. Yes. Um, yeah, I think they just don't have anything in the pipeline. I think their next launch event would probably be like August ish. Mm. So yeah, like you were saying, entertainment space. We've since learned that it replaces Discover to the left of the home screen, 
it's a pseudo launcher experience. It's, it's yeah. I love it. So yeah, let's let's start with that. Where does it show up? It is a replacement for Google Discover on these tablets, which I think is bloody murder. It's shocking that this happened. I don't know though. Like you don't use. Or maybe maybe it's just something different about the way that I use tablets, but I, I, I don't want Discover Feed on my tablet. It's useful on my phone because it's just one swipe away and I can browse through it periodically, but that's not a goal that I'm looking for on my tablet. And I agree, and here's why they did it. Because this is exactly what Samsung does on their phones and their tablets uh, with the, what is it called now? Samsung Free. Yes, Samsung Free. It's exactly the same thing except this one is just a, basically a giant ad for Google Play and its associated products. Yes, it is Google something. Unless uh, we forget that it is uh, and Discover is being replaced by another Google thing. Oh, I hope not. That would, that would be terrible. This all evokes okay. Google Play to me. Yes, it, it very much does. And Google TV, frankly, it's that same... I don't know, blurry backgrounds, translucent backgrounds. It's very much in the in the Google modern Google TV style. And it's also just the three core tenets of Google um of Google Play right now. It's got, you know, you got there's a the read tab for books and magazines or whatever, the games tab for play games, and the watch tab for play movies and TV. It's the the Trinity of Google Play right now. I guess my question is, how big of a product push is entertainment space? Is it something that reflects how more people are using Android tablets over the past year and the need for content consumption devices, affordable content consumption devices? Is it just that? Or is this a renewed vigor into tablets? Because I'm of the opinion that this is just this isn't like a major refocusing or reintroduction or rebranding of the Android experience on tablets. I just think this is a product to suit a very popular need right now. I can agree with that. It, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't know. It's definitely not anything of they're going to start pushing Android tablets again. Mm. They are not ready for that. Like it's a good idea, but it's not a reinvention. Yes, it's a good idea that is for the watchers of this industry implemented in a surprisingly, I know, technical, uh, technically advanced, technically interesting way. Do you think this would ever come to uh, phones? Just like maybe not, obviously not as your swipe left home, but just as a, a, a shortcut that I could open? to take oh again like i was saying the 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 comparison is kid space and that's an more or less an app that you a mode that you can enter and parents can enter out of so i think that might be the closest comparison so in that regards probably the idea of an it could exist as an app but on phones i I don't know, does this UI work on a small screen or does it specifically take advantage of something bigger? 
I mean, it kind of feels like an extension of the Play Store. Because hmm, it's curious. Because there's ways to purchase and recommendations for things. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting extension. Uh, next up, we have Stadia. A bit of Stadia news in terms of, well, on Monday, yes, it was Monday that uh, it emerged that head of product John Justice had left Stadia and Google. And he has been, I don't know, the most consumer-facing face of the uh, the core product and that core experience. I'm glad you qualified that. I was about to be like, mm, I don't know, Mister Mister Phil Harrison, but yeah, the Who? core product. <laughs> Who? It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> good one. Oh, I should. Uh, my apologies to the agent. <laughs> I love it. Oh, no. <laughs> but yes, um, I, it, I don't know. Every product, at least in gaming, every product has a face. Has a, uh, yeah, they have a face. And I think I'm not, I hope Google recognizes the importance of having that like reader community person, but, and uh, that they announce another one. Quickly, very quickly. Yeah, and it comes in the. Go ahead. I mean, they they have an opportunity to really reinvent the brand here. Like people are kind of upset that Phil Harrison is in charge and or is is or was the face because of you know just his past history and the people looked at Justice as a great alternative to that. But now uh, now he's out, and uh, I'm a little concerned. Hmm. Yeah. And it, it comes in the context of last week, they announced a bunch of features, which I don't know, seemed to be in that scope that John Justice has. And they previewed a bunch of features, which uh, we were under the impression that Google was no longer going to do. Which I think is key because the, the quote that we have uh, from December, which was from a John Justice interview, is saying that Google isn't going to talk about these Stadia upgrades, quote, before they land for fear of overpromising. So the fact that John Justice is out kind of left open the door for teases to happen again, for better or worse. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, uh, then today we had some news this morning. Uh, yeah, so earlier today, uh, it was not so much revealed as it was highlighted that a bunch of Stadia games and entertainment staff members, uh, ranging from general managers down to just concept artists, uh, have joined Jade Raymond, who was the previous head of Stadia Games and Entertainment. They've joined her new independent studio, Haven which is backed by Sony. Uh, obviously, they, they could have left Google formally at any time between February 1st and now, but it's just now becoming clear this is where they ended up. Um, and, you know, it, <laughs> it's not a great look for Google having uh, their product head leave, like, formally, and then have, well, I think it's, what, six or seven other people uh be confirmed as leaving who were 
you know, pretty big people in stadium games and entertainment, but it's not so much surprising either, just because these people were working for something that no longer exists. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the other tidbit of stadium news we learned this week was from Fortnite and that Epic Games offered it uh, Fortnite on Stadia in exchange for their long-running request for access to the Play Store. I mean, mm-hmm. that would have cost Google more than it would have earned them. I mean, at, this, at the same time, that could have theoretically kick-started Stadia into grand success. But, I mean, it, it, assuming that it didn't, and it just kind of led to a little bit better of a future than it has now, it would have cost Google far more than they would have gotten from that. Yeah, it would have set a very dangerous precedent. In terms of the Play um, Store. Yeah, because it, w- and it would have meant, you know, anyone who has a port of their game on the Play Store could have gone to Google and say, hey, you let Fortnite do it. We'll put our game on Stadia if you give us no cut in the Play Store. Yeah, and it's important to remember that this is one by the Play Store is one by different teams than Stadia. Mm-hmm. Um, Stadia. But yeah, uh, speaking... Well, we can, we can end it on a good note, though. Can we? Uh, if you are a Stadia Pro member, you now get Jedi Fallen Order for free, because Star Wars Day. Star Wars Day, yeah. You know, I, I think I'd like to make just another point, too, on the going jumping back to the Haven thing. I remembered that uh, Shannon Studstill, who was one of the, I want to say a crea- or an executive producer at the uh, Stadia Games, one of the Stadia Games and Entertainment. Fire Vista. Hmm? Stadia Fire Vista. Yes, 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 yes. She was a major, she was a head over that uh, play, the Playa Vista campus. Uh, she, in an interview following her, following the shutdown of Games Entertainment, she said that she considered that uh, the things that, that Stadia Games and Entertainment did would not have been a waste of time. She was very, you know, she, she said it twice, that there was no waste and no waste of time. So there's a decent chance that some of the things that they were working on there are going to be carried over to Haven. So, you know, PlayStation. Yeah. Basically. If Google gives up the gives up the IP, I think that's kind of what she's saying. Though, is that it's just kind of the things that they worked on are applicable, and it'll... it's the least Google can do to these people. These, I agree. Uh, game yeah, designers, right. people in the industry who uprooted their lives, maybe to do this. Uh, they have no New reason idea. to hold on to the IP like that. They have no skin in the game anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Shame, though, because I know we've discussed this many times in the past, but I very much want to see what the, what Google's idea of a game was. And, of course, they hired outside people. But, I don't know, it would be interesting to see the culture, the Google culture, reflected in the video game. And we'll never I mean, I think that. it was, I think it was reflected pretty well by... Uh... It just not happening. <laughs> unfortunate. That's the unfortunate truth. That's the unfortunate wow. truth. Yeah. But yeah, the future of Stadia, if anybody here has any thoughts. Uh, this is not confidence instilling. Yeah. it. I think that it might have something to do with just... I'd have to look over what, what all John Justice was involved in, but... It, I think that the technology of Stadia still stands strong. Absolutely. It's just the platform doesn't have as much of a future, but that's kind of been the case since 
the since they started or since they shut down Stadia Games Entertainment, we've known that that's going to be the way that it is. That you know these these uh, white label services are going to start popping up based on Stadia. Is my impression. And as uh, as somebody invested in Stadia in terms of hardware and games and that sort of thing, what's what what's I don't know what excitement you get from a white label product. Well, one of the things one of the things I've thought about is that if a if a platform or somebody like Ubisoft is going to put in the effort to make their game available through Stadia's heart or through Stadia's eco, or how do I put it? Platform. Using the Stadia platform, if they were going to make a, a white label Stadia platform of Ubisoft Plus. There would be no little to no additional cost to also sell that game retail through the Stadia platform. So mm-hmm. while Stadia as a platform may not be the first priority anymore, it can still reap the benefits. Mm. If they want. Yeah. If they want. And if it's not contractually limited to something. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know. So, yeah, Stadia. I think we should end on a slightly happier note uh, with something that happened on Monday evening. Yeah. So here I am getting ready to log on for the day when a notification comes in about a uh, a new something showing up at the uh, the Bluetooth special interest group. And what is it other than... The Google Home Hub, which released in 2018, I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. Why is it back? Look a little closer, and it's running Fuchsia 1.0, <laughs> which is uh, mind-boggling to me. I, I don't. I still am not 100 percent sure what to make of it, but the, the the gist of it is Google seems to be preparing to test Fuchsia on the Google Home Hub, or sorry, the Nest Hub, but not the second generation Nest Hub, in a more broader capacity than than, than just the internal tests. I don't think they would get Bluetooth 6 certification if this wasn't going to be a public product in the context that they have to give it out to people other than Googlers. So yeah. So developers or some, I'm sure it'll be limited in whatever, however this happens, but this seems like it's going to exit the company somehow and get into more people's hands. Or potentially maybe this, maybe they're doing a wider test, like a, a, do- a dog food sort of test, but it's something larger to the, to the scale that maybe it's too much to be considered a, a, an internal test like hmm. you know a a home hub in every googler's house you know something like that like a, a big like that, yeah. test that that too much to be too much to be within the bluetooth sig, sigs rules but yeah I, my personal thinking is maybe like a developer kit but not for this io yeah, <laughs> mm, yeah. this io this IO is a little too close. They would have given a little bit more time. Like I, I meant to look it up uh, ahead of time, but it, I I don't. I think the uh, was it the ADT two 
that they gave out at IO. What was that, 2018 they gave those out? They announced it at IO, and I think they shipped it a while a bit further after that. Yeah. So whatever's happening, it's not happening too terribly soon, is, is my thinking on it. Unfortunately. But it's exciting. It's exciting. And on that note, um, you can tune into Alphabet Scoop here every week. We record this podcast and publish on Thursdays. You can find us on all your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Apple Podcasts, and iTunes. And you can even listen in on our site at 9to5google.com if you wish. Thank you for tuning in. And as always, thanks to Kyle and Ben for joining me. We'll see you all next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.